certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? WA gripped by fear. All members of Western Australia have got a responsibility because these are our daughters and sisters. Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Until now, the man accused of the Claremont serial killings has been unexpressive in the dock. Today, for the first time, he showed emotion. We also heard from Bradley Edwards' second wife, who said she feared for her life during their relationship. I'm Natalie Bongiolo. Welcome to day four of Claremont, the trial in conversation. And joining us is Tim Clark and Emily Moulton from the West. Hi to you both. So, Hi, guys. Hi. Today really seemed like a parade of former lovers. Yeah, it was quite... Yeah, we were just saying it's almost like a time of your life. Or this is your life sort of moment um, today. And, and you know... If, no one would sort of want to have all their ex-relationships um, dredged up from the past, um, especially yeah. if they're over 20 years ago. So, Oh, I certainly wouldn't, no. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it was a bit of ex-wives and sex life today, Nat. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know really how far it took us, but it was certainly, certainly interesting listening nonetheless. And, uh, I mean, was it quite intimate questioning about was, their sex lives? Yeah, it was quite intimate all round. I mean, there was... There was Questions about obviously um, how they met and first dates and where they went and talk of you know roses and lightning strikes and it was all quite personal in a very impersonal setting um, and um, yeah I mean we learned we certainly learned more about um, his relationships but I um, mean the the reason for that questioning was very similar to the last couple of days in that. And the prosecution are trying to establish, obviously, what type of man Mr. Edwards is, but more specifically, I think, what he looked like and the cars he drove, and what I mean, you know, and what he was doing at certain times and, and, and certain places on certain dates. Did the four women paint a similar picture of a similar man, or, or were they quite different? I think the only one that was really different was perhaps. The second wife, but I think the past girlfriends all seem to say that he appeared to be a genuinely nice guy, mm. but they also never dated him for very long. Yeah, um, never really got to know him, I don't yeah. think. And, and also it was sort of in his early 20s or their early 20s, and I think one, one um, woman only actually just dated him. She said there was no sexual relationship and she wasn't attracted to him in that way, and she sort of said on the stand when when they broke up, like she told him that she didn't want a serious relationship with him, and she said he was very gracious about it and took it very well. Um, and uh, the the other woman that was um, sort of on the stand this morning um, was a his I guess probably one of the ones that you could say was actually his girlfriend for a longer period of time than the other two. Um, she was um, an older woman, and they had a sexual relationship. Um, but she said that he ended that relationship because then he met his second wife. Um, but she still said he was quite nice about the whole thing because she remembered when it was the end of the relationship, it was around her daughter's 18th birthday and he still took her daughter out to lunch. So he was, I guess, still a gentleman in that sense. And then, it, and then the meeting with the 
the second wife. Um, that was done through work when a light, she said a lightning bolt had hit the computer store that she was working at. He mm. had gone to fix the fix the phone lines there. She thought it was an April Fool's joke, which is why she specifically remembers the date, April the first, nineteen ninety seven. And then there was, um, you know, and then there was a, a, an ask out for a date, and she said. Um, she, she, they went to McDonald's and she bought the young daughter that she had at the time because she, she wanted him to realize it was she wasn't just a woman, she was a package with a child. And so it's that type of really intimate detail yeah. that you don't, you don't often get in, in, in murder trials, uh, uh, well, apart unless they're sort of domestically based murder trials. But, um, um, and then when the ex-wife, um, second wife, um, really got into her evidence. This is where these little, just, just absolute tiny little nuggets of something other than what the prosecution has been leading all these personal mm-hmm. witnesses towards. We just got little flashes, little lightning bolts, I suppose, of of something else going on under the surface. Um, it might be handy if we were now perhaps to give a bit of a timeline for listeners of who the four women are and the years that they dated or married Bradley Edwards, just so that people can picture them in the timeline. And then we can maybe talk a bit more about there was obviously some bombshells with the second wife. And then we can get into that. Mm. So the first wife, who, who was the first witness, um, Mr. Edwards I met her in um, late '88. Um, early 89 um, and he was basically straight out of school straight into his job and he met her and that was a bit of a lightning romance um, they moved in together quite quickly and then as we learned sort of earlier in, in, in the trial and in, in the podcast um, there was um, talk of marriage very early um, on in the relationship in, in sort of mid-1990 which um, he admitted had put him under pressure which he then said was the catalyst for the Hollywood Hospital incident um, but they did get married um, in uh, November 91 I think from memory mm-hmm. and then that relationship lasted about um, well basically until um, late 95 early 96 when it broke down through the, 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 the first wife uh, meeting another man, he moved in, and then all that, um, basically the, the marriage collapsed, and that's when prosecutors say that the emotional turmoil, turmoil clicked in, um, and these the, the, the three murders occurred. It was that sort of 95 to 97 period when the Telstra Living Witness, so-called witnesses, so this man, or mystery man, driving around Claremont in the Telstra car, um, and though, and the, t- the two women that we heard from um, today were over that time period, over that two-year period, right. which is which is why obviously they were called to say what Mr. Edwards looked like, because that's going to relate to what the girls um, who say they were trying to, you know, were, were picked up in this Telstra car over that time what that, that man looked like, what he said he did for a living, and the car he was driving. So that, that that's all that relevance. And then 1st of April 97 was where um, that relationship was said to start. Three days later, um, Kira Glennon's body is found, um, and then there was never another murder, And the, the um, wow. as far as we know. And the prosecutors um, say, going back to the emotional turmoil evidence that was because mr edwards had found his his 
his um, his second wife um, and her stepdaughter, and they very quickly um, got into a very serious relationship. They married in 2000 and um, were basically still married right up until almost until his arrest. They they apparently they separated um, some months before that, but the stepdaughter in that relationship was still living with Mr. Edwards on the day he was arrested in December. 2016. So, so that's the timeline, and, and that's some of the relevance of, of around um, the um, the evidence over the last couple of days. And so, the second wife, when she um, was questioned, and she mentioned that she had feared for her life, and she was terrified um, at one point. That was in the very last stages of their marriage. And how did that come about? Um, the- yeah, she was asked about why she was. Re- recording these bank statements. So um, the prosecution was asking her about these, her journal, and this journal that she had was recording information from um, Bradley Edwards' bank statements back from, like, the early, well, mid-90s. So when Carmel Barbagello asked her, why why were you recording, like, why were you taking note of these? And then she sort of quickly slipped out, because I feared for my life. But then she was also quickly shut down afterwards. By so she, who? By, by the prosecutor, by, by Ms. Barbagello. So, and so no one was asked, no one asked her, well, why did you fear for your life? No. So we, they didn't, we, we didn't get to hear why. Um, yeah, it was just like, it was like, it was like a hand grenade sort of lobbed out there um, with the pin half out, um, <laughs> but, it, but it never went off. It was, it was all very strange. Um, and then there were other, another couple of snippets as she continued to give this evidence about how she was scared um, stiffless and how she um, was under uh, so much pressure while she was writing this notebook um, because um, she was in fear. Um, but we never, uh, it was never asked why, it was never elaborated on. Um, and certainly when it got to, even when it got to the cross-examination by Mr. Jovich, um, he shut her down as well when she started, tried to try, try, try to sort of um, lead back into that um, subject. So, yeah, it was it was um, it was quite odd, um, quite a little bit frustrating not yeah. not to know the full story because you certainly got the impression that um, the, the 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 lady wanted to um, wanted to elaborate on it, but she just wasn't allowed to and. We, we're assuming this was because Miss Barbagallo thought she might become uh, somewhat of an unpredictable witness, but whether they like it or not, those little nuggets are out there. Um, and now here we are, and I'm sure readers and, and, and watchers and, and anyone is, is probably going to speculate on, on what they all meant. That's right, because you must have been sitting there in your mind and thinking, ask the question, ask the why isn't anyone asking the question? <laughs> those of yeah, us in well, the media room were like... Why? But why? Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah. then we was like quickly get back to typing and, and for the next thing. And um, but then sort of, I guess then the disc- well, the question started. But going back to these bank statements, and and what were in them, and I guess the line of questioning then was some like there was uh, Carmel brought up these specific dates of of in 1996, I think towards the end of 96, where. Um, there was like withdrawals from ATMs and they, two of them were at least from Bayview Terrace. So, um, and, and that would obviously go to the line, like 
I, I think in the beginning, uh, on, on day one, you sort of heard that he had said that he had never sort of frequented that area no. during that time, I think. So and so I guess that, that those line and questions were going towards establishing that, well, he was in that area at some point. In, and in, and at the relevant time as well. So that yeah. was um, December 96. Yeah. So that was slap bang in the middle of the sort of timeline of the murders. So for him to say he didn't frequent, so, and then one of the um, former girlfriends also said today that um, she certainly remembered them at least once going out to Claremont and spending time in the um, the hotel with the big veranda, which we, we all take to be the Continental, Continental Hotel, which was obviously where Jane and Kira were last seen or were or spent some of their last hours. So, um, you know, the, 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 the reason for it is obvious. Um, yep. the, the evidentiary reason, um, they, want to, they want to put him in Claremont, they want to put him in Claremont, they want to put him in Claremont, which belies what they say are the lies about him saying, oh, well, I, I, I never went there, I didn't know the place, I, didn't, you know, I wasn't familiar with the area. So it's interesting, I mean, and whether... This this woman, um, obviously her identity is suppressed by the court, but um, she's she's no longer under the um, under the sort of protective gaze of the uh, of the prosecution now because she's, as far as they concerned, and far as the court is concerned, she's done her job or done her bit. Right. So whether at some point she'll want to say some more, well, we'll just have to wait and see. When she was talking about the bank statements, had she copied them as in she had? photocopied them? Had she written down notes from that period in time? How she had... No, she said she found a bundle of documents, uh, bank statements in a, in a drawer um, in, a, in an office in the, in the house and um, of, at, at the relevant time. And this was towards the end of the relationship, so we're talking about 2014 now. So these, yeah. are, these bank statements are nearly 18 years old. She'd found them um, and um, it appeared, had gone through them and documented all um, a the, the series of cash withdrawals from the ATMs, and they were very, very regular um, cash withdrawals, um, you know, on consecutive days, and mm-hmm. for decent size amounts, two hundred, three hundred dollars at a time. And she'd gone through all the statements, um, notated what statement it was, notated the date, notated where the ATM was, notated mm-hmm. the amount, and notated, uh, in some cases, the day of the week. So she was obviously doing this for a reason. Yes, um, I mean it's well, a bizarre well, well, thing to do. It is. It is. It's quite a. a, a strange thing to do but I mean I think it's fair to say you can see from her state of um, well not state of mind but the, 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 the way she was addressing this issue there was something going on. Um, I think she was and, uh, I think she was asked or her, her response was why, or why she was I think she was asked why she was doing this again and I think another one of her quotes was I was sick and tired of the lies. Yeah. But again, so, no one no, asked but then what that, lies. Yeah, and then it stops, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, but why? Yeah. <laughs> what lies? <laughs> yeah, and then this obviously was um, this this notebook became part, presumably part of the evidence when the house was um, uh, raided and gone through in in mm. 2016. Well, we think, or she might have handed over the notebook herself. Um, who knows? But it certainly came into the police possession, and they thought it interesting enough to introduce it into evidence today. So. Yeah. So there it is. It was also during the second wife's testimony that you saw home video, is that right? Correct, yes. W- so, what did you see? Yeah, these were, um, once again, just just such an intimate thing to see in such a supposedly sterile environment. Um, and uh, going back to your very intro, Matt, this is, this is where 
I, I was specifically looking at Mr. Edwards while he was while the, the videos were playing and while he was watching them, um, and he was quite clearly um, smiling. Um, he was as animated as I'd seen him throughout this whole process while these three videos were playing. So they were all taken sort of uh, towards the start of the relationship with the second wife. So we're talking 97, around there. So this is after he's alleged to have committed all these crimes. Um, one was of him with his car, the Telstra car in the background. Mm -hmm. Another was of um, a, a family trip around Perth, which was being filmed, which the second wife said was to send her family overseas to sh show them the sights of Perth without having to make the the very long plane ride to get here. And then the second one, which is the one that Mr. Edwards really reacted strongly to, was was footage of him playing um, totem tennis with his then stepdaughter, um, which was on the, on the front of, of, of one of their properties. And, um, I mean, it was just your classic family scene, really. Um, sun and sunshine in the background, blue sky, um, you know, colourful tennis rackets, green lawn, and um, this apparently loving stepfather and her, her stepdaughter enjoying some time together and, and joking around. So, and was, he's smiling, and he is—is is he smiling and he's nodding and? Yeah, yeah. He was he, he was clearly reacting to it. The the, the, the wife or the, the second wife was also clearly reacting to seeing this footage. She she actually commented while it was being played how cute her daughter looked, how small her daughter looked. Um, so, you know, it was obviously a very happy, treasured yeah. family time. And for that to be played in such an instance and for such a reason, um, it's very jarring sometimes to see those mm. um, things taken completely out of context um, and obviously used for, for you know, one of the most serious prosecutions in Australian legal history. Yeah. It almost feels a bit eerie to see such a happy time when it's a trial for such, uh, you know, horrible... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, eerie and a little bit voyeuristic. Um, yes. you, <laughs> you, you, you feel like you're sort of intruding, intruding. On, on something. But it wasn't just us watching. It was obviously, again, some of the families of the people that Mr Edwards is accused of murdering. So yeah. what was going through their mind when they see that? And Was know, there any reaction from them? Uh, they uh, they were actually behind me today, Nat, so I couldn't actually see because I really I wanted to concentrate either. on what Mr. Edwards was was how he reacted because I could I when it first flashed up on the screen um, there was there was an obvious sort of physical sort of movement in the dock and mm -hmm. so that's what caught my eye. Almost a ripple would go through when these yeah, you know yes. moments happen. Something like that. It was a little bit like the, the moment we heard on day one when we heard Sarah's voice. Just it was it just you know I mean you, and it, and it's another thing you're sort of listening to words and you're trying to concentrate because you want to get it right and then you know you're just hit with this completely sort of yeah. at times jarring image um, and it, you know and it, it, it it can take you back a little bit sometimes and of course the stepdaughter that you were looking at in those videos is the stepdaughter that was still living with him after they had separated and at the time of his arrest correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and as we understand it, um, she, she, I mean, she, well, she would, she will be a witness because um, she's she's on that list of um, witnesses' names that have been suppressed. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, she, uh, she today, she actually, you know, did become a, a little bit part of the trial and she will become a much bigger part of the trial as we roll on. Were all of the witnesses today um, video streamed? Were any of them in the courtroom? Uh, Mr Edwards' um, best man from his wedding to his second wife, he was actually in the courtroom. Um, and the last witness that Anne mentioned there, um, um, Mr Paul Luff, he mm-hmm. was a, he's been a long-time, long-term friend of Mr Edwards. He's actually the best man at Mr Edwards' second um, marriage. Oh, and he couldn't was, remember it. <laughs> even, oh, yeah, even though that was a bit odd. Um, well, I suppose it was a long time ago. But um, and Didn't remember um, the wedding at all or didn't remember the date? Didn't remember, didn't remember that he's, well, he's sort of the said, yeah. Best man. yeah, he said, yes, I know I was the best man, but I don't remember the wedding. Okay, it might have been a good wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and there was, there was a little bit of a physical reaction from Mr. Edwards when he walked into court, um, presumably because they've been friends for so long, and who knows whether Mr. Edwards has, has even seen him for three years. Um, but there was a little bit of a stiffening of the body and a widening of the eyes, apparently, and a thinning of the mouth when Mr. Luff walked in. Um, and, and and he he again was giving evidence about um, mainly at the heart of his evidence was um, his remembrance of how Mr Edwards reacted after the breakup of his first marriage, which as we often said is, is supposedly the emotional catalyst for all this. Um, and he was describing how he was very depressed. He was he began drinking more. He was worried for his friends' um, welfare. Um, and, and and how he was coping with it, basically, and, and he said, you know, I, I spoke to him a number of times about how he was how he was dealing with it all, um, but you know, obviously was was not asked, and, and obviously didn't offer any hint as to what might have been going on in the in the real background. Um, but once again, it was it was to put a timeline there, to put a to, and to put a sort of series of events together which the prosecution way down the track will, will, will try and link together strongly enough for the judge to, to at least consider that as a, as a motive. And there were questions about the cars that he was driving at the time? Yeah, it, it appeared sort of, I guess, uh, um, Ms Barbagallo was trying to establish sort of what sort of cars he knew he was driving and he said he knew... I think they both had vans to begin with when they were, I guess, they. I think they. he said they started out as apprentices together. Right. Um, but worked in different sort of areas. And then um, he, he said that they both had vans and then um, he remembered um, when Telstra started bringing in the station wagons and he sort of made this sort of lighthearted joke that, you know, he was a bit jealous of Mr Edwards um, because he got the station wagon first and he still had to have a van. Um, and then when asked why, he said, well, that was because of the work that Mr Edwards is doing. So he was able to get a van, uh, get a, a station wagon first. And we know that the station wagon is potentially significant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's potentially one of the, the it, it will be one of the main, um, you know, pillars of the prosecution case because they intend to very strongly point to these grey fibres that were supposedly, or, you know, or have been found on the uh, on the bodies of both girls that were recovered and um and you know they link each other and they link to the car and they link to Mr Edwards so i mean that that's that's the and the, and the prosecution will keep hammering try to hammer home to the judge that um that this was the car he had at the time and there will there can can be absolutely no doubt because you've seen the pictures you know you've um and and you've um and you've heard the witnesses
we've actually had a request from one of the listeners, Andrea Montanelloni. I'm not sure how to pronounce Montilioni. that. Montione. Montione. I'm not sure, Andrea. Sorry about that if we're getting that wrong. Um, and she's asked if we could perhaps just give her a, a brief explanation as to why is this case before a judge only and not a jury? Obviously, the jury is, is at the heart of the justice system in here and, and, and most Western democracies. But for at times, a judge can, can rule that um, he thinks that um, a, having a jury might be um, certainly um, not helpful to the, the course of justice. And this, this was one of those cases. Um, the application was put on various bases. Um, the, the first one, the obvious one, probably to everyone, is pre-trial publicity. Um, so they, they say that if they think, if a judge thinks that it would be impossible for a, an accused person to get a fair trial because of pre-trial publicity, or, uh, and they wouldn't be able to find a big enough pool of jurors to have um, uh, them sort of a, a clean jury, if you, if you like, that don't have any knowledge of a case or don't have any predisposition towards a case, um, then they will then they will rule against the jury. And in this case, obviously, it's probably the most publicised um, case, certainly in Western Australia and in Australia. So that was one of the reasons. The second was the DNA evidence. Um, a judge can take into account how complicated and how lengthy a, uh, the DNA evidence or forensic evidence or technical evidence in a trial can be. And if they feel it would be too hard for a jury to follow, and as we discussed earlier in the week, the DNA yeah. evidence in this case is crucial and it will be long and it will be um, dense and it will be heavy. So that was another reason. The third is the actual length of the trial itself. They will say if a trial is going to go on too long, or it's going to go on for very long, it will be a too big an impost on a juror to have to put aside all their life's trappings, personal jobs, all that, to come and sit in court every day. Obviously, this trial was always going to be lengthy, anywhere between six and nine months. And so it was argued that to ask a jury to sit for that long away from their normal lives was too unfair. And then the fourth reason was um, the... Um, gruesome and graphic nature of evidence. Mm. And obviously in this case, all four of those things came together. Yeah. Um, if, if anyone is really interested and wants to read them, those reasons are actually available on, on some of the legal websites. Um, you, you just have, need to look under Mr. Edwards's name um, and you could find them and also find other pre-trial judgments as well if, if the listeners are really interested. And I guess we'd encourage anyone, if you've got any questions, get in contact with us and um, you know, Emily and Tim will try their best to answer them for you. The only positive <laughs> feedback, thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can follow Emily's blog at thewest.com.au. You can read, read Tim's stories in the paper. And um, we understand a copy of the second wife's notes on the bank statements will be released soon. So those images will also be available on thewest.com.au. Uh, thanks for joining us, both of you. And we'll be back tomorrow for day five of Claremont at the Trial in Conversation. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au.